Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Falling Forward episode 21 is uh, old enough to drink in America now. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Lassac. I've never said it like that. I don't know why I said it like that this time. I must be excited. I've given myself a job title. I'm CEO of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'll put that on my CV when I apply for the job in McDonald's eventually. Can't wait until I have to be a fry cook, guys. Genuinely looking forward to it. Um, so, how have you been? I've been good. Up and down. A little up and down in life emotionally i think i always get a bit down after andrea's been here not because she's a bad partner in life or anything like that it's because she's a good partner she's a delightful human and i miss her you know but that's life you know i can't help the fact that she lives three and a half thousand miles away from me she could though she could win the lottery and move here but does she do it does she do it guys no it's just rude it's just rude. Thank you, everyone, for coming back and listening. Uh, last episode, Rich Wilson went down really well. People really enjoyed my Essex accent and uh, the jokes and japes that came with it. A little bit of a change of pace this week, more contemplative, as we sat down with SK Slomo or Slomo, um, the looper, beatboxer, entertainer and now singer, songwriting, producer. We had a lovely chat. He came to my house, which was nice for me, except for the noise of the street. But you, you'll have to suffer. Guys, I have to suffer it every day. You should suffer it too. We got into the ups and downs of touring and kind of the, the lows of being a musician as well as the highs. And uh, I'm really grateful that Simon was willing to open up and, and have that conversation with me. He does it with other people on his uh, live stream slash podcast called We Are Listening. So you should Google that. If you don't know Google, go to Ask Jeeves and ask Jeeves what Googling is and he will tell you. I'm assuming it's just one guy who sits there, but he's really fast at typing. 
And for once, this isn't a two-parter. Um, but the only reason being is I didn't want Simon to get a uh, parking ticket. <laughs> That's the limitation on this podcast. Uh, I didn't want it to cost him 60 quid to have come to my house to chat nonsense with me. But yeah, I think you're all going to get a lot out of this one. So yeah, I should get out of your way, really. You can uh, listen to myself and SK Shlomo having a little chit-chat, a chin-wag, a natter after this message. This, this message from me. Hello. This is the message from me. Are you enjoying Falling Forward with Dan Lassac? If so, there are multiple ways to support it and, and keep it going. Uh, first up, the obvious one, patreon.com forward slash Dan Lassac. That's a subscription thingy. But you can throw a dollar at me each month and uh, pay for travel and such and doodah. Um, you could go over to danlasac.bandcamp.com to pick up the music from the show and any of the last four or five albums I've, I've released. They're all amazing, so you should basically have those already. If you're not free with your wallet, you can subscribe to the podcast. Well, everyone should do that, but you can subscribe to the podcast and maybe leave a review saying things like, Oh, that Dan Lasac guy is great. Um, and finally, uh, the easiest and laziest way of doing it would be to hit retweet on the Twitters or share on the Facebook if, if you're still one of those people tied to the Zuckerberg behemoth. Um, but yeah, they're the ways you can keep this podcast ticking over and filling your ears on a fortnightly basis. Anyway, on with the show. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 
Uh, we've got street noise today as well. Is that like a giant hoover? I don't know what's going on. Someone's hoovering the streets. Someone's vital maintenance work of street hoovering. We were very lucky. They, they closed off the end of the, that street uh, for, to do some sewage works, hmm. which was exciting. But looks like a quiet street. It's a thoroughfare. And there were cars. It was carnage. There were cars backed up for days. It was like Mad Max, but in Reading. It was very exciting. <laughs> Uh, so, who are you? Uh, my name is SK Shlomo. I am lots you of things. You weren't always SK, though. No. You had, you had to add that. Yeah, I added the SK because I first was a was known as a beatboxer, a live beatboxer, mm-hmm. and a performer. Um, so, I went by Shlomo, which is my middle name, which is a very Jewish name. Yeah. Like a really common Jewish name, um, which meant that when... I wanted to be a recording artist and I typed Shlomo into Spotify and <laughs> I was horrified by the... There's many and so I thought I can't... Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to compete with these people even though they're not me. So uh, yeah, just added my initials, SK, my full name Simon Shlomo Khan. So mm. added my the S and the K to Shlomo and then... Which I was... It took me so long to decide how yeah. to change and how to do it and what to change it to and I just thought it would be such a big drama and it, it really wasn't like everyone's just kind of got on with it yeah <laughs> no one's had a problem with it at all a band um, name's like your artist name is, is a weird thing because you were uh, it sticks with you for in Ember yeah you know I remember the first the very first band I was in we were called the Ventolins yeah and then I changed it to Vent mm-hmm. and then somewhere along the line I joined a different band where we could never agree on a name mm. so we were like i think the one gig we did we did under the name borealis nice but yeah you just kind of get stuck to them i was dj Sackboy up until like a week before the first time me and pip performed on a build together yeah so it could have been dj Sackboy versus grievous pip yeah and i was yeah that was the first time he heard like any of my remixes of his stuff Mm. in a venue at 3am which was kind of cool and they were Sackboy remixes they were DJ Sackboy DJ Sackboy remixes I think it's an important part of like adolescence if you're into music mm. that's what you do is you form bands with your friends and you think of the name before you've had your first rehearsal that's like yeah well that's you do that all the time and oh he'll be the manager you'll play the bass oh I can't play the bass doesn't matter like, <laughs> you know well, what I mean? weirdly that's what Scrooby's Pip's name is is before he was before he had performed, before he had even really taught himself to... I don't think he ever was trying to be a rapper mm. as such. He was always trying to be kind of more on the Gil Scott Heron thing than, than an out-and-out rapper. But, yeah, before he did any of that, he was Scroobius Pip. And in mm. the HMV we worked in, we uh, formed a band, a rap crew, called mm. The Ridiculous MCs. Mm. Um, but there was multiple producers and one rapper. Yeah. <laughs> there was so I was Sackboy. Uh, was I Sackboy at that point? I don't know. There was a guy called Flames Yall, who's still around <laughs> now, who produces nice. hip hop beats. A guy called Mutt Three Thousand, whose name's Matthew, who I don't know if he makes music, but he was one of our our, our producers. And we were grown ass adults at that point. Yeah. We weren't we weren't kids creating a band. But it's the dream, isn't it? You know, it's the dream. Form a band, get a band name. Yeah. Go on tour. Go on top of the pops. Get a Grammy. You performed as an artist, mm. so you're a looper, beatboxer, 
shenanigaiser mm. um, for a decade, more mm. than that, mm. before putting the pen to paper as such. Mm. What, what was it that driv- drove um, that delay? Why did it take you so long to make a record? Well, I always told myself that it was um, because what I did was a live art form and anyone who tried to make beatboxing records hadn't really captured the joy of what they do. Mm. Um, But that wasn't the truth. The truth was that I was afraid of not being good enough. Mm. Uh, Because even though I'd done lots of writing with other people or for other people... um, I didn't think I was a good enough writer. Same with production. Same with singing. I'm super insecure about singing. Yeah. Even though um, I know I've got a really lovely voice, I just still struggle to believe that it's good enough to be up on a stage. Yeah. The kind of stages that I was getting on. So I, I'd be happily climbing onto these huge stages, um, you know, like at Glastonbury or whatever, like big, like, same kind of thing you guys were doing. <coughs> but you guys were releasing records, and I'd be a bit like, I'd kind of sidestepped that whole side of the industry where you have yeah. to like get signed or at least get some attention and get your record out and get build a fan base. Like because of the performance, I could just get on that stage, but I didn't believe that the music I would make would would amount to that same level. So I thought I couldn't do it. Yeah, I think for beatboxers in general, it definitely there's definitely a challenge there because when you're standing on a stage and you make a bass drum come out of your mouth, the audience goes. That just came out of his mouth. Mm. As soon as you take away that visual side of it, Mm. you get into this awkward situation of, well, is this... Now, is that a synth? Or is that, you know... Especially with modern technology, like how much we can process stuff, we can dial in more bass, we can compress... Like, for the audience, they lose that wonderment, you know. They lose the magic. Like, you wouldn't necessarily, like... (coughs) watch a magician or like listen to an listen to a radio show of a magician like, yeah yeah <laughs> you just wouldn't be able to understand performance art it's visual so then that doesn't mean that the music that beatboxers are making doesn't work without the visual magic but it can be easy to believe to believe that that that, that magic is what makes it good yeah and i don't think it is i think anyone who's an artist it doesn't really matter what your tools are that you create your art with and the best beatboxers are the artists that they're, yes, they use beatboxing, but but truly they're they're a creative, mm. and they probably use a whole bunch of other creative skills as well. That's what makes them stand out from other artists. But like for me, I'd kind of I'd got into a bit of a difficult place where like I didn't believe that I was doing enough, or I didn't believe that I was seen as serious enough, or something like that. Mm. Like um, I feel differently now, but but I had this real chip on my shoulder that I had to prove myself as like a real artist which which was a really bad starting point to go out and change your whole practice um, because it came from a place of like negativity and self criticism rather than like creative spark and excitement do you know what I mean so that kind of led me into some difficulties I suppose you you were also doing all these performances at a time where other beatboxers were trying to you know break the recording mm. side, like Killer Keller is really notable for mm. that because he had that first record that was very obviously beatboxed, mm. and then that second record that was kind of the Justin Timberlake thing mm. with a live band, and it mm. it got really confused. It got really hard to like Killer Keller 
uh, saw him performing, I can't remember, we did a gig with him, and it was odd, because he came out and did his his six-minute, almost like stand-up beatbox mm. thing to a rapturous applause, yeah. and then the band came out and he did the gig, mm. and he's still, he's singing and then doing scratchy noises, but... Mm. He's got a DJ on stage, so the audience mm. don't care about the scratchy mo- noises that are coming out of his mouth anymore. Yeah, I, kinda, I watched all that happen. Like I was just, I just left home and all that was happening, and he'd, he'd kind of been a mental figure for a while. So I really mm. looked up to him, and I was, I remember being really disappointed because I felt like, um, I just wanted to see him beatbox. Yeah, but now looking back, I, I kind of you can't just do what people want you to do because mm. then you'll get unhappy with what you're doing and then the quality of what you're doing will suffer and your drive will suffer and the whole project will suffer mm. and then no one will get anything. Um, so definitely would encourage, looking back, encourage young people or any people who want to develop themselves to do what's in your heart rather than what you think people want. Yeah. Um or even what they do want. Do you know what I mean? Fuck them. Do what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you'll be miserable. Well, that's the thing. Because if you're doing what you want and then you happen to have some success, then you get to be happy about it. Mm. If you're, I don't know, if you're doing what you think people expect and changing your creative process to fit that, then mm. you're just going to be, yeah, you might make some money, but you're going to be sad about it. Yeah. That's, you know? that's never going to work. Like, imagine taking the soul out of your these things that you slaved away to create and then feeling like you had to do them. I, I didn't really get to that point, but I just thought, like... To me, it was more like a self-flagellation thing. It was like, no, I have to not do that to just show that I can do something else. Yeah. And then, so when I first came out doing a few shows after that process, I kind of did it almost exactly what you just described about Keller, where I did some beatboxing, and then I was like, right, now I'm going to do something completely different. Mm. And the audience uh, were just a bit like, my audience were really lovely about it, but I, I kind of felt bad on them. Yeah, yeah, because they'd come for a thing and they were yeah. getting this other thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely a different one because every band's going to grow. Everyone everyone hates band seconds out, second yeah. albums. Yeah. And we always say it's a oh, difficult second album. And it's yeah. like, well, no, I understand that. you The first album took you a whole life to write, so maybe. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I think you can't help but grow. You, yeah. can, you know, if you have success with that first thing, you might have a little more money, so you might have better kit, and it's mm. going to change slightly. And people are disappointed because they want more of the same. Mm. But if you give them more of the same, they're disappointed because you didn't give them anything new. <laughs> you can't win, can you? You can't make anyone happy. Whenever you try and compare shit, like whether it's you doing it or the people, you, people who are making the stuff for doing it, it's destructive and it's mm. really hard not to. But if you can try not to, it's it's generally better. <laughs> yeah, like like I know the what I believe to be the best work me and Pip have did, or I ever did solo. But I also know that the audience do not agree with me in any way. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine because I, if someone fell in love with something I wrote. It was not just because of what I wrote. It was because of the life around them at the yeah, time. Yeah, it was because yeah. of all the things they'd ever listened to before. It was because of the attractive girl who said, hey, you should listen to this. There's a million reasons. There's a million yeah. stories, isn't there, behind every 
it's like synapses it's so complicated the connections that go into it so it's like yeah. your experience of a, of a piece of art is never going to be anywhere, anything like someone else's do you know what I mean I, I talk about it with photography actually my dissertation for my degree was about this about basically how my auntie Pat without any photographic training is a professional photographer in the sense that every image she's ever seen has taught her about framing about mm. you know like when as you see um we live in such a visual world that you can't help but be aesthetically trained you know and uh yeah it was literally my whole degree was just me trying to prove that my degree was useless <laughs> um, and i'm proud of that yeah, yeah and then i stopped doing photography within like two years of getting my degree mm. and then went Works in H and B. It was all right. It was all right. Hey, I was a uh, acting manager of H and B Stains at my peak. So living the dream. Was it Stains? That's also I don't, I don't know the whole story, but was Boris trending on Twitter for saying something about exporting Jason Donovan, Donovan CDs to North Korea? Or was something. that a joke? Or something? I don't understand. What it that was, was probably a joke on his behalf, but Boris is uh, a god at manipulating. Google search results. Right. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> he'll use phrases that, like, okay, when he talked about pa- painting buses on crates. Right. That meant that when you search Boris and Bus, it was mm. the story about him painting buses on crates, not Boris standing in front of the big lying red bus of Brexit. Right. And he's done that a few times. Just to wipe out all the shit he doesn't want in the Google search. Basically, yeah. He's very good. So why does he want to wipe out something about CDs, exports, North Korea, Jason Donovan? We don't know. (laughs) Not not to be paranoid. It's just so horrible feeling like these manipulative... I just can't even think about it. I think the weird thing is, we feel bad about it. It makes us feel tired and sick and Mm. agitated. But we actually know now. Mm. Like, I'm not saying like Thatcher was manipulating SEO because the internet didn't exist. No. But when this happened 30 years ago, and this has been happening a very long time, we didn't have the opportunity to know. Mm. And I think maybe we all feel a little more depressed than our parents did because mm. ignorance is bliss. Mm. And because we can see it happening, it's really frustrating. Mm. But because we can see it happening, at least we can have that conversation. So when my mm. my dad says a thing about Brexit, I can go, that's, do you know what, dad? I hear you, mm. but <laughs> like, this is what's actually happening. He's like, all right, insulin, mm. you say. Well, mm. I didn't, didn't realize that, you know. So it's kind of, at least we get the opportunity to challenge it. Yeah. But social media plays a huge part in the creative journey for a lot of people. Mm. But how do you find it? I have a really difficult relationship with social media, Mm. which I've heard lots of creative people say. Um, But I have recently been trying to pay as little attention as possible Mm. which I think is a lot healthier for me because I noticed that when I've been paying it a lot of attention it's normally when I'm having a hard time 
it's normally quite a good flag that I'm not doing so great. Yeah. I'm putting so much time into paying attention to it. Um, Is that wanting the the dog mean hit? The yeah, I say I just, a thing uh, and I get a cuddle off people. Yeah, you get yeah, you get validation or you search for validation. Like that was when I, that was kind of how it all started for me. Like, I think I recognised that destructive habit a long time ago. So I decided to try to pull away from social media a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it's tricky, and then. I feel like more and more people say this that that they've noticed that lots of social media use is linked with when they're not not feeling super healthy emotionally or whatever. Mm. So then I hear more and more people kind of saying the same thing that they they pay it less and less attention, or if they use it for if they're creative, they use it to talk about their stuff, but they don't necessarily dive in to what everyone else is saying. And I'm like, well, if that carries on as a trend, then the bubble will burst because it depends mm. on people. It depends on our addictive need for other people's input do you know what I mean like Instagram sells your attention so if you're not paying it attention it'll eventually mm. implode so weirdly of the social networks I prefer Instagram mm. because it's the one that doesn't hurt me right it, it doesn't hurt my head okay you know Instagram's the one where I'll, I'll scroll and um I'll see I don't know amulets doing tape loop stuff and my friend Jake's mm. photography and like it, it's the one that rarely, rarely mentions Brexit. Yeah, that's really. a good point. <laughs> it's the one that, because it, I suppose it's so much about that photo, I, mm. I can just scroll it and kind of um, see things I want to see without getting bombarded mm. by crap. But mm. weirdly, I don't think I use it properly. My girlfriend right. highlighted the fact that I don't use tags or anything. So I don't right. look in the music tag. Yeah. I just look at the people I already follow. So yeah. I've got this really limited curated experience. Yeah. And adverts. Yeah. So many adverts. So many adverts. Whereas Twitter, you not only can't avoid the shit, you can't avoid people bringing other people's shit in front of you. Like mm. someone, well, Katie Hopkins is an idiot because, and then showing mm. you what Katie Hopkins said. And it's like, yeah, but I didn't want to see what Katie Hopkins said. I, yeah. I, don't follow don't her because yeah. she's horrid. Yeah, I guess the, the Instagram doesn't have the sort of repost function built yeah. into it, so you don't get like this. Yeah, people importing stuff that they care about into mm. your world. But do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think since I, I, I got back off tour, when I've been using it every day for my work, and like because I post about what I'm doing, which is really positive. Well, you have to, yeah. it's, you know, it's a tool. You have to, and also I really get a lot from it. And, and I love that. And I was like, I am fully just addicted to this again. I'm like, if I've got a spare second, I'm straight, like it's muscle memory, straight onto Instagram or whatever, straight onto wherever I can get some stimulation or some diversion mm. from boredom or whatever you call it. So I was like, right, I'm going cold turkey. And I posted a little, I'm, I'm signing out post and then just deleted all the apps off my phone, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. LinkedIn, like all of them gone, and then um, had to have a little bit of a detox, and that's been really good. So now I've been now I'm back at work. I've been posting when I need to, but yeah. I, I I quite often would just delete Instagram after I've made the post because I just end up going there, and I, I try and replace that with uh, you know Kindle app or listen to an audiobook mm. or or just journaling or something like that. So that when you get that that kind of boredom, knee jerk need for input, it helps you to maybe do a bit of learning if you're going to read a book or 
or um, if you're going to write, if you can just write down why you feel fidgety, that can mm. be so good for you. <laughs> just even just a few words. Oh, I'm sad because so and so happened earlier. That just acknowledges that little bit of sadness, and then that little butterfly can fly away, and you can move on. You might even, mm. might not even need to feel like you need something else to make you feel better. Do you find though sometimes that social media has this ability to like positively reinforce your sadness? Mm-hmm. Like you you have that moment where you're sharing, and obviously people are going to be um, the majority of people are kind, but do you then get addicted to the that willingness to share the kindness? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've did I. I, you mentioned the TED, TEDx talk I did. I, that's called How Social Media Saved Me From Suicide. It's talking about mm. how I felt that um, being able to be open about negativity and, you know, intrusive suicidal thoughts online um, suddenly created this network of support, which mm. I didn't have before. Um, and, like, do you know what I mean? I'm it's simplifying. The, the title of that TED talk really simplifies what happened to me, which with any story you tell, you you, know, you can't tell everything that happened. You've got to simplify yeah. the characters. But... Um, I still feel that social media isn't actually what's destructive. It's the way that we use it, the way that we um, pretend like we're great or that or that we're having a great time. Yeah, I've said this many times, but like when your friend uh, posts a picture of that amazing meal they're having at that posh restaurant with their partner or whatever on Facebook, they don't follow it up three hours later with them taking a dump like the, <laughs> the truth of that food is it's going to end up as poop but yeah. we we're not painting that picture no. um this idealized version of ourselves that we're sharing is is great and all it's nice to feel like you're achieving but at the same time for people who feel like they're not achieving having to see you have all this Wonderful food, nice breads and stuff, rustic, rustic loaves, um, <laughs> with oil and balsamic vinegar, yeah. you know. So artisan. So artisanal. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean, how that, that false version of your life can make other people feel like they're failing. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I think what's lacking is vulnerabilities. It's like, it's great to see someone share their successes and that could be really heartwarming. Um, but it's also like you said it can make you feel like you're less than them mm. um, but if someone can also show some truth in the, the vulnerable side of their world then it feels more balanced then it's like okay I, I saw a really nice TED talk by um, is it Joseph Gordon-Levitt is that how you say his name the guy off yeah. of, um, I remember him from Third Rock from the Sun now he's mm -hmm. a big Hollywood megastar he was saying about um, he said that he was ashamed of his Instagram how many Instagram followers he had because it was so much lower than his Twitter because he joined way later um, and he said he wasn't even going to say the number which obviously I then went and had a look straight yeah. away and it was a million and I'm like and he was like so don't think that the people who you think have made it and are successful don't think that they're not also having the same anxieties as you Yeah. and I thought that was a lovely bit of vulnerability to share because I felt so reassured by that do you know what I mean so like I think that's that anxiety about how many people are following you is like is part of the DNA of social media. If people weren't worried about how many people were following them, they'd stop using it and mm. 
Facebook wouldn't be able to make money out of us anymore. Well, and that that is the point of social media for the companies that put and create it. It's a ad a ad servicing platform. Mm. You know, like most of the internet is just about servicing adverts to us, and it's completely destroyed all other methods of advertising. Like we do, mm. we do like. We do still do some print and we still do some like kind of traditional publicity, but like the most efficient way to reach the people who are interested in what you're doing is to pay for a targeted ad because it reaches the people who who actually want to see it. And yeah, it's yeah. such a better use of your money. So um, my friend B. Dolan was over touring with uh, Sage Francis under the name Epic Beard Men, and uh, it was the first time he'd ever engaged with Facebook ads. Mm. Uh, he used Tone Den, so Tone Den's like service you can buy the ads through isn't it yeah and they do a lot of the sort of tailoring those ads so you make six versions and it will automatically remove the ones that aren't working and right like hone that ads to mm. you know optimize it that's yeah the yeah, yeah and uh he was like freaking out because every show it would only be like one or two people would come up but like who hadn't heard anything from him for five years yeah. and bear in mind they released two albums He's he's released two fairly big movies. Yes, yeah. you know he's done stuff yeah. that you would think his audience would hear about, but because uh, people only because they live in this little Facebook bubble, mm. and then he's not advertising to that Facebook bubble. It's made me think that I should um, run some Facebook ads for the podcast. But it's horrible. Like so now, if you want to reach anyone, you've got to give money to the evil corporation. You've got to give money, even though they chose to already follow you. You still yeah. have to pay to talk to them. Sport. Well, this thing, like this was two months ago. I still haven't actually done it because of yeah. my own like, but it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. And yeah, I, did, I didn't do it for years. Cause I was same thing. Also, I just, it looked quite scary, but, um, it's not that hard to have a play around with and like you could don't have to throw too much money at it to get results. Mm. Um, but it has become the only real way you can advertise. Like it's not that the other other old school ways of doing it don't work. It's just that this is so much more effective. It's almost a joke to like them. ridiculous. The yeah. weird thing about it as well is because of how targeted advertising become, mm. um, it's actually weirdly like drowned in sound have really struggled. The quietest have really struggled because Advertisers don't really need to be on their platform, and that's how they were generating the money to create, you know, arguably good journalism. Yeah. So it ends up in this weird, uh, even more awkward situation where more power gets shifted to companies that don't need more power. Yeah, and they're exponentially taking over more and more of everything we consume. Mm. And that's quite scary, and it's kind of, do you know what I mean? You used to watch movies set in the future where that kind of stuff would happen. Do you know what I mean? Like Back to the Future. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that will never happen. There will never be these big corporations that run everything. Well, uh, someone, like <laughs> someone, you know how in some of those futuristic movies, adverts would become tailored to you as you're walking around the city? <laughs> yeah. Well, someone, I was reading about um, Clear Vision, or, or one of those Clear Channel, one of those advertising, like billboard are advertisers. Are they going to do that? Well, no, that there are, on some billboards on digital adverts, there are sensors to decide whether someone saw the advert or not. Because they can run on, it's like a video screen, because they can run different adverts for different companies. It was their way so that um, Yves Saint Laurent only pay when they get seen. 
and so and so only pay when they get sick and it makes perfect sense like yeah. it, that's how the internet works yeah, yeah, yeah but like actually add impressions in real life in the physical world but also, also like they know who's driving past because you've got your phone there like they mm-hmm. like, totally could like see you were coming in about five seconds time and show you the ad that's show you the here. right ad yeah that's really scary i don't know why it's more scary than it happening virtually but the weird thing about that is it could be a good thing you know it could mm. be like i really dislike spotify mm. i really think the algorithm is dumb mm. but it's because the algorithm's too good mm. the algorithm is too precise so it's like someone seeing you coming and showing you a thing it knows you'll like mm. is a good thing you like that thing that shouldn't be bad but then it homogenizes it yeah but because these things are so good at it yeah how do you ever see something you sort of like like i yeah. always talk about the fujis uh, yeah. ready or not yeah why doesn't the spotify algorithm show you enya when you listen to the fujis you know like who is yeah. to say that the reason you're listening to the Fuji's ready or not is not because of the Enya sample yeah. and not the MCs, you know? Like yeah, right. the same with Dr. Dre. Why is that when you listen to Dr. Dre, there's all this soul that he's yeah. sampling. Yeah. But the algorithm is just well Shomo yeah. listened to Snoop Dogg after Dr. Dre, so we are going to show you mm. Snoop Dogg. It's like I don't I get it, but at the same time, I do wish it was slightly wrong. I wish it yeah, had yeah. this little... Yeah, because yeah. those happy accidents is much more organic, isn't it? Like, where your life doesn't go like that. It's not it, so smooth. Like, if you went into, I don't know, go into Resident Records in Brighton and say, hey, I really like Mogwai. Can I have some stuff like Mogwai? Mm. And they're going to go, depending on who you get at the counter, someone's going to give you explosions in the sky or someone's going to mm. give you... Um, Godspeed, you Black Emperor. But one guy might give you super furry animals. For mm. or, do you know what I mean? They're like it could those little misinterpretations mm. or personal interpretations feel way more exciting to me than I find. Like Spotify, I think Spotify gets quite confused by me because I've listened to such a completely disconnected range of music. Yeah. But I also find that I go through ways of it. I remember certain times where it's just fed me loads of stuff and I've got really into it and I've got really excited and I've curated all these playlists of it. And then, like, for example, like the last few months, I just feel like every time I'm like, I want to find something on it, I just, it doesn't work. I just, it doesn't show me anything interesting or mm. new. And then I just get bored and end up listening to the same stuff again. Yeah. But that seems to happen in cycles. I don't know if that's me or if it's like a technology or what it is, but like, I still prefer it this way. I still, it's still amazing that you can get anything. Mm. straight away I think that's incredible I think it still blows my mind value for money as well it's a bargain you know he says (laughs) yeah but do you know what I mean we've got like artists who complain about that do you know what I mean it's like complaining about pigeons not being used for delivering mail anymore like some people will yeah yeah. (laughs) but you can't make a living off of that now that is is that thing of uh who you're angry at. Like, I do think that when I say that Spotify don't pay people enough, I'm not ragging on the audience for using this value for money, decent service. I'm not ragging on 
the music industry for trying to protect its ass from piracy, which is why they signed the shitty deals they did. Mm. I'm racking on Spotify for not understanding that if they don't support this industry, they fail. They're mm. the ones who who end up not making money because people can't afford to make the content for mm. that. The music Do you think that's is, what's going to happen? Do you think it's going to collapse? I don't think so. I think there's enough at the... <laughs> that was a good, well-timed pause. <laughs> now I have to leave that in. Um, I think there is enough uh, people who are just excited to be making music that yeah. Spotify will stay really, really <laughs> outside car. Um, this is why I don't usually do them here because it's so damn loud. Um, there's enough people making stuff and excited to just be putting things in the world that they'll mm. they'll always have content. Yeah, I mean, I see that. Like, so, like going back to, right to the beginning of the first question you asked me, which is why did it take you so long to to release a record? And part of it was just like, well, it's not going to make any fucking money, is it? So. Mm. But the, this record I did really, I made my album, released it. Like I was really happy with the streams it got, um, but it's nowhere near creating any kind of yeah. real income. Um, I think what, what scares me is those, those tiny ideas that happen that, that spark something bigger. You know, there are... Like how... Like dubstep, how dubstep exists comes through a line of things like stretching all the way back to disco you know like mm. this man did this and this mm. happened and mm. that and then you know you get those um planet mu did the grime compila- compilations that were actually two-step but mm. very dubstepy two-step before dubstep and it's, it's just odd to me like how these little things that wouldn't succeed on spotify inspire entire genres that end up being massive things like how we get from code nine to skrillex is a trackable path how we get from code nine to skrillex to britney spears using dubstep bass lines is a really trackable thing back to a cup a little nub of um shoreditch in london yeah yeah if that had all been algorithmic, yeah. does dubstep ever exist? Yeah, it's well, we'll find out, won't we? Yeah. Like, underground music has always been underground. It's always been subversive and it's always kind of not done what everything else is doing. Mm. So it will. it's not going to just die. It, it'll evolve. Well, and that's the thing we come back to with uh, like kids watching non-broadcast, like things just through the internet. Like maybe... We get around the algorithm by, I don't know, like I've I've used tape machines and stuff and I haven't used tape machines for 20 years because, you know, it's just a thing I grew out of. But I've got back into that because of the YouTube algorithm. Showed mm. me a German guy called Heimbach and then showed me uh, another man, I can't remember where he's from, called Amulets, who, who do really cool stuff with tape loops. And it was like... Got you inspired. Got me inspired. That's cool. And it's like super niche. And mm. they're like... Oh, hang on a minute. I think YouTube algorithmically feels totally different to Spotify. Like YouTube is about the weird and the wonderful and the anomalies mm. um, rather than homogenizing culture. Well, YouTube is as about the social as well. Like 
It's about that person's personality, which is why I always think like beatboxers, loopers can do quite well on platforms mm. like YouTube because you get to express your personality, but you mm. can also do things that are a little more, not in a negative sense, but throw away. So you mm. can jump on and do uh, one of the beatboxer old standards like Teardrop. That's, yeah. that's a, a <laughs> beatboxer standard. And get a response to that, mm. but without having had to put like six months work into writing yeah, right. this perfectly crafted song and all that. Whereas on Spotify, yeah, it's all about that finished. It becomes much more precious. And I think that was really, I found that really hard. I was like, I need to yeah. make this perfect. I can't start releasing music until I've perfected it. And then that obviously never happens. So yeah, you can only release imperfect things. Like this way, I quite like what um, 65 Days of Static are doing at the moment. They're doing a thing called Year of Wreckage. Mm. Um, and it's basically just a Bandcamp subscription. Right. 20 bucks for the year, and you get everything they've written. Mm. And it's pretty cool, because mm. you're getting to see stuff that maybe wouldn't have made it onto albums, mm. but they're proud of. They want to share. Mm. You can end up with a hell of a lot more music than if we waited for them to just make their... Perfect vase. Perfect, yeah. You ever heard that story about the vases where they got um, two groups of people and one group were told they had um, a week to make one vase that had mm. to be the best vase they could make. The other group were told they had to make as many vases as they could and the goal wasn't about quality, it was just about quantity. It doesn't matter yeah. how shit they are to make as many as you can. And by the end of the week, the people who made shit tons of them were making these great vases and the people who were trying to make one perfect, one perfect vase, it was, one. it was awful. Yeah. So like something that you might think this is imper this is too imperfect to go on Spotify, this platform where it has to be shiny and good. So it has to be good enough to stand up to Bonnie Vare and mm. Kanye. Whereas on Bandcamp, maybe you don't mind just chucking stuff on that. You don't think it's finished. Or yeah. Good enough. I did see. But other people might love it. I, this is the thing as well. I think we, uh, we convinced ourselves that there's a perfect pasta sauce. Yeah. Like, that, okay, well, I'm, I want to make a bunch of money online, so I need to copy Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Without realising that Ed Sheeran's the product of a scene. He's a product of the people he was around and being influenced by. It's a million things. You can't... He, maybe Ed Sheeran is a copy of something else, but he's a copy of a lot of other things that influenced him and... Got to where he is, so you can't just do Ed Sheeran. You, no. it, like, we need multiple different pasta sauce. We need a pasta sauce with garlic, yeah. whoever that be. Billy but definitely Eilish. do Ed Sheeran, but do Billy Eilish as well. Like, yeah, do, and then do everything else that you love and makes you who you are. Mm. It's really hard to actually live that advice, but it is good advice. Like, yeah, anything that takes your imagination, steal it and remix it and do your version. I think that's maybe what we're always doing. As creators, as all creators, you can't live in a vacuum. Mm. So, but maybe we don't admit it sometimes. Mm. Like, I listen to older tracks I've done, and I'm like, oh, wow, I stole. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. didn't know I was stealing at the time, yeah, yeah. but, like, I can hear, oh, that song, Yeah, that's where that bass line I wrote come from. Like, yeah. even if it's not the same notes, I know... Yeah. how that made me think and feel and then I ended up in that spot there's a, a great book I read called Steal Like an Artist I really like mm. that it was just about that just to take everything and do it your way it's really nice which is 
I think maybe being honest about it. That's the thing. Mm. Like, I want to... Hey, I heard John Hopkins, this piano. Mm. He, okay, I'm going to do John Hopkins today, mm. Mm. but see how that, my understanding or misunderstanding of what John Hopkins makes, mm. translates and comes out the other. Absolutely. The sieve of my brain. Yeah, this is making me want to go and make some shit. <laughs> I'm in that point now. I've just come off for the first, like, an insanely creative... 120 shows. 120 shows, and then before that, like, just completely immersing myself in, my, in making the record. Mm. And now I'm, like, home again, and I'm like, shit, okay, I need, I want to do more stuff, but I just haven't started. I've got to that thing where I'm like, oh, I'll just yeah. come and record a podcast with Dan, or... You know I mean, I'll do this, I'll do that, and it's like... That's actually a really important part of the process too. It's just kind of like mm. regrouping and gathering, but it can feel like you're procrastinating or you're or you're not doing enough. Weirdly, the reason I started the podcast was mm. because of that. It was to stop. It was to give me the dopamine hit of having done a thing every two weeks mm. to have uh, feel like I've created something. We're creating ideas here yeah. and inspiration. Everyone at home is like writing beats right now. They're, <laughs> they're all inspired. Yeah, they're not even <laughs> listening to us. <laughs> um, but like, it was, but it was also to break the the thing I can do of just ignoring the world and watching YouTube or watching mm. Netflix. Mm. Actually, what the more I watch Netflix, the less I watch TV. Because mm. I'm like, if I do the old YouTube thing, like, oh, it's only a 10-minute video, yeah. but I'll watch 20 of them. Yeah. Whereas Netflix, I'm very good at controlling myself and going... Because you watch an episode. Or... I'm going to watch this one episode. Yeah. And it rarely slips over into three. Yeah. Usually slips into two, though. Um, oh, man, um, I'm, su- I'm super strict about that. I, I do my working day, and then I do my watching stuff, or, do you know what I mean, downtime after that. Yeah, so, because one of the things I do every week is stream on Twitch. So I, mm. I I used to stream six nights a week on Twitch, which I've stopped uh, just recently. This is why I've got mm. these two monitors and stuff, mm. and that microphone. And, mm. uh, but, yeah, now I just do it at the weekends. Mm. Uh, so now I have evenings again because mm. I didn't have them before you know is I, that purely for fun or is that is that like a professional goal uh, or a bit of both I was depressed I was really so I was here me and Pip had finished and that was done and then I, I sat there before before I had that sofa actually that's my ex's sofa mm. so I sat there on like a crappy futon for like eight months um curtains closed and just played a game called destiny destiny one so before two came out um and yeah it was bad it was Mm. dark and uh i've been i've been ill since my teens i was first diagnosed with depression at 16 15 Mm. first time i had meds was 15 Mm. and uh yeah, I just went in, into my dark place. And I was doing a little bit of work for my friend who's a photographer. And he was just chatting about this other person he had met who plays Destiny and streams on Twitch and mm. seems like fun. And I was like, I'll check Twitch out. Mm. And watching his friend Leah, who I'm hoping will be a guest on this podcast at some point. Um, I was like, that does look like fun, you know? Mm. And I put it on and I had like five viewers the first time. And uh, I was connected 
to someone. I was talking yeah. to other humans about video games. Yeah, so it's not just like a dark void. It's like yeah, suddenly I was opening my curtains and mm. all that. So it started as a way for me to connect with the world, especially as because I live so solitarily. Mm. You know, I've got a few good friends, but you know, my friend Pete's got a kid now. Jake's got his business to run. You know, like I don't connect very often. My partner lives three thousand. 600 miles away mm. um, so it actually filled a need the need to actually talk in the day because I would go whole mm. days without talking um, and then it started going well so I started earning mm. you know and like a few hundred dollars a month and it was growing and it was growing um, and it was good and it was exciting and it was like nearly a thing I could have turned into a job Mm. Then Brexit happened. Oh, really? And I got really grumpy. Oh, right. <laughs> so I just spent... Right. I stopped streaming for like three weeks because I was just really like moody. And then yeah. when I came back, it was just me being angry about Brexit for months. Right. And I just drove half my audience oh, away. Right. And so, yeah. And then it was just like, oh, damn it, I fucked this. But at the same time, it's so making a living as like a Twitch streamer or something is such a pipe dream that I don't feel like I've fucked it up if you know mm. what I mean mm. like it's fine you know yeah, so yeah. I've lost out on a few hundred dollars right it's not like I've lost out on a few thousand yeah because I've seen streamers do that as well <laughs> like just completely tank their careers from earning like tens of thousands a month to nothing yeah. and I can't imagine how heartbreaking that is yeah but at the same time like thank god I didn't I wasn't good enough to fuck it up enough if you know what I mean right but now yeah at this point it's just enjoy it mm. I've got this core of like 20 30 people who come by mm. who uh, make me laugh mm. and uh, I get to express the darker side of my sense of humor mm. that I can't express on Twitter I mm. can't say some of the more crass shit without my tone of voice mm. you know mm. like I can say ghastly things on Twitch and mm. no one's going to cancel me, no one's going to mm. get angry at me because they can hear me. Yeah, yeah. And, e and I've also got a, uh, a button that brings up a massive banner across my entire screen with the word sarcasm <laughs> in it. Just no. in case, just in case I'm a bit worried. So you're using like OBS or something like that? OBS, yeah. And then you've got that MIDI controller that, that presses that button. Streamlabs. Uh, Stream Deck, it's called actually Elgato Stream Deck. It integrates very nicely with OBS, so you can turn oh. on scenes and mute things. And uh, it you might have to show me that after this. It also acts as a sampler, not a oh. sampler, but a sample triggerer. Nice. So you can have a little if you want. Nice. You know, I'll, I will show you. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. I've toyed with the idea of um, streaming on Twitch, but not. I'm not a gamer, but um, mm. just doing my music and my live. Yeah, creative. And stuff. The the creative. Uh, area on their uh, categories is pretty pretty fertile mm. there and um, like I suppose if you were trying to do it as a to get noticed thing mm. you might be better off on Mixer because although it's got a, like not even 1% the audience of Twitch it has room to grow it has room to be noticed whereas I haven't heard of that on Mixer is that a new one? Mixer's Microsoft's Twitch basically right. okay yeah 
it's, it's weird. Because yeah. <laughs> there's always been a few. There's D Live, there's Hitbox, there's a mm. lot. Mm. But Twitch just owned it so big mm. that you know. Mm. But yeah, there's definitely some community there. Yeah, I've never dived in because I've always kind of stayed with the safety net of my Facebook audience. I've done all my live streaming for the last couple mm. of years on there. But um, every time I meet people who who use Twitch, they're just like, oh, it's not scary, just start. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I will, but then I don't. So maybe I will. But the weird thing is, like, have a Google Google into it, but there yeah. are ways where you can... Do both. Do both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I've so, into that too. Mm. And then if Twitch suddenly took off, then you know you can go there. Mm. I, again, talk, my friend Jake. Jake Hicks, he was an episode a few ago, guys. Go back. Uh, he streams... Um, Occasionally, photo retouching, mm. and realised that because all of his audience is on Facebook, there's no point in him trying to build something new mm. on Twitch, and he's using it to add value rather than to make a living. You know? Yeah, no, this wouldn't be to make a living. It's just as a, I really loved it when I was before I was back out on the road. It's kind of transitioning out of like when I was struggling with my depression and I wasn't wasn't performing at all. I just was like desperately trying to make this album and then um, that transition between being kind of ready to open the virtual curtains like mm. you did but not being quite ready to go out on tour like I just started streaming and started doing gigs from my that little home studio that I've got um, like just little live looping performances or um, just See, this thing, the, and the stuff. online thing for a beatbox and for a looper is kind of like they can see they can understand yeah. but yeah. you're also fluid enough to be able to almost react to what people are saying yeah, to yeah. you live. So people are like giving of... me ideas to play around with and then that was a lovely... Because you get what you get is um, it is a performance with an audience and I've always, since the beginning of my career, I've always understood that value of when you're working on something, you have to test it in front of an audience. An audience could just be just be you, could just be Yeah, we, we are performing right now. Right, yeah. but there's such a psychological difference between rehearsing and performing and you can't simulate performing unless you have that anxiety of somebody else either being in the room or hearing it or watching it so I'd always whenever I've developed new material I'd always do like warm-up shows so I'd mm-hmm. like either do it to an invited audience or do like a secret gig or I'd find some way to do like a low uh, pressured version of the show and mm. like find out where you're going to fuck up what you need to change and what's working blah 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 but that's what I love about um, streaming is that I can just immediately, like, I don't even have to announce I'm doing it. I can just go on Instagram Live or something and just check this out, guys. Da, 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 da. Oh, that completely fucked up. Hang up. And like the, f- you know, the few people who have watched it, who witnessed that, got to see something that no one else got to yeah, see. Yeah. And the fact that you didn't like it means that no one else really had to see it. Um, and then another day, you're like, no, I'm feeling really confident about this. So you're starting to build on it. And then you're like, reaching an audience, a much bigger audience. Mm. It's like, this is great. And I haven't even had to leave my house. Yeah. This thing I found hard about doing creative stuff on on Twitch was because people would, like, really want you to really make a finished thing. It's like, well, I, I don't make finished things. I make, mm. I make a thing and then I let it fester for a few months and then I go back to it and go, mm. oh, if I take X, Y, and Z from that, I've got this other thing that it'll be perfect for. Have you ever done that with your music then? Like, yeah, yeah, I did a lot. When I got partnered by twitch it was i was a creative right so it wasn't just just gaming creative yeah did you do gaming as well i did gaming at first and then i rolled in more creative stuff like production stuff and but then it's because it's like the creative side of me is the the nearest thing to the emotional side of me Mm. 
Yeah. And I was like, it was just a little too naked, a little too vulnerable to be sharing mm. it. Mm. And I realized as soon as I started messing around with like drum machines on there, I felt a bit better because mm. it was a little more detached. It was a little less like, well, this is not a finished thing. It's just like yeah, a noodling. Yeah. Yeah, as yeah. soon as I got it to noodling, but people found that interesting, mm. I felt far more comfortable than mm. like actually trying to write a melody. Yeah. An emotional. The melody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this thing, that's one of the things why like, I'd never really written lyrics and stuff. Like, yet you get people who will sit down and write full songs with their audience. It's like, mm. how, do you, how do you do that? Mm. That seems crazy to me. Mm. Um, we talked briefly about doing shows, but you're doing a show for kids at yeah. the moment. Yeah. So what's that all about? What's all that about? What the hell's that? Well, I what? started doing it when I became a dad. I had a really horrible summer, the summer after I became a dad, where I went up to do the Edinburgh Fringe for a month, um, and my partner and my baby didn't come. Mm. Um, and I was like, this is awful. Like, I'm missing, I'm missing my child's development. Yeah. So I need to find a way that I can do shows but still get home in time for bath time. That was like my little <laughs> remit that I set myself. So a year later, I came up with a show which had evolved out of like teaching beatbox workshops. And I noticed that when I do workshops, they'd got more and more slick. And I had a whole little pattern of how I do it. And I had a whole these little stories that made people laugh and that made people engage that mm. I find over the years. And I was like, it basically is a show. I just do it on stage. Um, and from the very the very first show we put on, it sold out. And um, that was a pattern that just kept repeating. And I was like, shit. Okay, there's a market for this. And what what I really liked about it was it didn't require any technology like my solo shows had been getting more and more complicated with more and more tech and more and more advanced like as my mind grew I was trying to like push that and it was like this can be lovely and simple yeah yeah it's, it's really interesting to see how beatboxers end up with so much gear yeah like and this eight just, different loop yeah now. exactly and that's fun and that's, that's yeah. totally valid but this was lovely just to go back to the basics um and then the show what I love about that show is it's a show about well-being, but no one needs to know that. Like mm-hmm. it's a show about empowerment and giving children a voice and encouraging them to take an alternative life choice if one feels right for them, even if people around them don't. Because that's the kind of story that I tell of how, you know, I mean, people didn't understand what I meant when I was like, "I'm going to be a beatboxer." They yeah. didn't know what it meant, and they said, "Go back to doing your homework." Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not telling you you have to be a superstar beatboxer, but I'm telling you please believe in whatever you are mm. um, and then I've had quite a lot of adults get really emotional about that and come talk to me about how how it touched them so then I realised this is about well-being for the whole family yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also it's just lovely because this, as my audience has grown up like a lot of them have got kids and can't necessarily come to a mm. nighttime show and they're desperate to teach their children about bass so they <laughs> come into this show and it's just it's a very joyous thing I kind of had a bit of a yeah, I wanted to stop doing it when I wanted to make my album because I wanted to be seen as like a serious artist. And I was like, look, could you, like, all the people I looked up to, like, you know, like Massive Attack. Could you imagine, like, Massive Attack's trip hop adventure for kids? Like, you'd just be like, that would never happen. But after I'd put the album out and I'd realised I could do all that, I just suddenly mm. relaxed all of that pressure on myself to be, to be something I'm not. Like, I am an entertainer, I, I am a performer. I do believe that it's something that the people who are doing something at the fringes of musically yourself the DJ Yoda's um, like people are doing something that's music but not traditionally music mm. are given the leeway to do serious stuff 
mm. and do fun stuff. That's like, nice. If you look at Yoda's career, like that yeah. is a man going, hey, I'm going to do something really serious today, <laughs> but tomorrow I'm going to fuck around with the 18 theme for yeah, nine yeah, hours. Yeah. You know? I love his attitude. Like, it definitely, I think partially because there's a hook there because you beatbox straight away. This is not, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to teach kids guitar. Hey, yeah. shredding the yeah, shredding yeah. adventure for kids isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I still think there's room in the world for a metal adventure I'd for kids I'd go to that but, I'd go to that but you know what I mean it's <laughs> like it's easier for everyone to understand so you explain it to a theatre and a parent they all mm. understand what's going to happen mm. but at the same time that also means you can work with Bjork or yeah. whoever you get to which I find fascinating I find it it is a really interesting thing when you look at your career you've done a lot like way more than you'd think a beatboxer would be allowed to do sure you know which is pretty amazing when we've all got mouths yeah I don't know I think a lot of it was just through absolutely unhealthy sheer drive of just like it was all self-flagellation like I can say it now Mm. I would never admit it at the time but every time I did something that hadn't been done before I'd come away and I'd just be even meaner to myself like Mm the fuck you think that's an achievement come on you need to do something bigger yeah it's a weird thing like you you've got the world record for the largest beatbox choir but you've had that multiple times yeah you've beaten yourself <laughs> in well no someone broke it and I was like and then you had to break it back it. yeah <laughs> but it's that awkward thing isn't it like I I have achieved this thing mm. and now I have to beat my own achievement and it's, it's like, exhausting well, why do I because I've already achieved that you it's, know it's horrible it's part I a part of it is the artistic mindset. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, if you were satisfied, you probably wouldn't be creating. Mm. So I know a lot of artists don't want to lose that, but like, it is also really horrible. Like, especially if you're some of the self-talk that I've eventually became um, kind of more conscious of was horrible. It was fucking hate crime. If, if, yeah. <laughs> if I said it to you, you. A, probably punch me, and B, you'd probably report me for abu- yeah. like, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Like, it's not probably isn't legal. But we do it to ourselves, um, and artists especially are just so hard on themselves. Mm. And it's really... Like, and I know it's painful. I know creating is always going to be painful. Well, we're hard on ourselves, even though it's out of our hands. Like, I could sit down and write the most beautiful piece of music of my life, Mm. and I to get it to the world I still have to get past the algorithm I have to do you know what I mean there's still a bunch of things in my way of anyone hearing it let alone people forgetting that Pip existed because every time my name's mentioned they're well they think of him anyway because they think Mm. his name's down the sack a lot of the time but like you still got that mountain to surpass and it's like realising that you the harder you beat yourself up doesn't mean that the world suddenly is going to open the door for you. You know, you have to make sure you're well to mm. be able to put music in the world. Like, I don't think I will release music again mm. in anything other than maybe Bandcamp, little mm. things here and there. I don't think there's another album in me because I'm not willing to engage in the world in that emotional way it's too painful for do you me mean the releasing it part or the writing it part? the releasing it part. i've yeah. written multiple albums yeah. that won't get released because right. i can't deal with the emotional side of releasing a record yeah it's too painful it's too frustrating you know 
But that's like, sad. That's so sad. I want to hear those albums. People want to hear them. All right. All right. <laughs> I, it's just purely because it's it makes me feel really sour. And, yeah. You know. There's something unwholesome about it. Hey, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Like, do you know what I mean? That and, like, the frustration when you know something's good. Like, like the last thing I wrote, um, 63 Days, there's some music on there that's better than anything I ever wrote. Yet, it will be the thing that the least people have ever heard. I'm at that end of my career anyway, where less people care. Like, less people are engaged with it. Obviously, because there's new music to engage with. You know. And, uh, like... I'm proud of writing it and I want everyone to hear it. Yet at the same time, it's like, I'm also not willing to beg. Mm. Although I've never been too proud to beg. Weird. <sighs> it's hard, man, because like part of me screaming now, like, oh, but if you don't let that stuff out, then there's just, then there's definitely no way it can succeed. But Whereas the thing if I've you let come, it out and it doesn't succeed, like... The, the thing I've come to terms with is it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to succeed or it doesn't need to be let out? It, either. Like, the... I, that's why I will still engage with this idea of releasing things on, on Bandcamp, like putting it there for people who want it, hmm. but not engaging in the, the dance of trying to make people hear it. Hmm. Because ultimately, the act of writing it was what made me feel good. Yeah. That made me feel like I'd done something. Yeah. And yeah. Like, knowing that I don't have to try to compare or live up to the things I've done previously makes it feel a lot more like I'm willing to make more things, mm. you know? That, sounds, that does sound way healthier. Yeah. I think maybe I'm still... Because you've been releasing music for way longer than me, so I still feel like part of the pleasure of... Like I've created some stuff that I really love... And then part of the pleasure is to then share that with other people. Mm. And I had this ambition, which I only just achieved about two weeks ago, which was I wanted to... Because there's so much music that I love, that I really identify with, and I really, like, means so much to me. But mm. if I go and watch that artist play, it's just so special for me. And I just wanted to have that where I write, I would write a song, release it, someone would listen to it enough and engage with it enough that they'd come to see me play and look forward to hearing that song. Yeah. And I had like someone came up the other day and was like, after my show at the South Bank, and they were like, um, "Oh, that I'm so happy you played Invisible. I've had it on repeat for months." And I was just like, "Yeah." <laughs> and it's a surprise as well. Yeah, they have that moment where they hear that first strains, first chords, or whatever, and it's like, <gasps> "Yeah." Exactly. That's why I hate bands who tell you what song's coming up. Uh, like I like watching an audience yeah, go, yeah, yeah. "Oh shit!" It's, this one. it's know, really exciting. That moment. It's a joy, and then. Yeah, like that's because I'd always get this thing. People would watch me play, and they'd be like, "Oh, I love, uh, I love what you're doing with the beatboxing. I love, I love you, and I love your whole character." Music's not really my thing, but I'm still going to come back to the next show. And I'm like, "What the fuck does that mean?" Yeah. Like, so they they don't actually like what I'm saying. They just like the way I'm saying it. Or, or, or do you know what I mean? Like some people are just fascinated by the what went into making it, not the out outcome, which, which we is can fine. do as artists as well. Yeah, the amount of artists who will do like. So, like a noodly guitar riff and they're really proud that they have finally got the ability to m play that riff yeah they forget that maybe that's not music <laughs> like it's hard it's like, I feel so proud of this it must be good when mm. yeah you're, mm. you're still engaging with an audience 
Mm. Um, is there anything you wanted to get into? I think we've covered a fair amount, to be fair. Are you happy to call it... More than, yeah. Um, are you, actually, are you still putting together the the podcast? You you did a bunch, um, but then you've obviously yeah, been touring and stuff. I did are you like, going back to that? I did, yeah, I did that kind of season one, and then um, my plan was to come back to it, like, now after I was off tour. Um, it's like a mental health live stream series. Where can people find that? It's called We Are Listening, so it's on um, YouTube and on my website. Um, and it was amazing, because it was just an idea I had one day to just mm. like see do, do creative people want to talk about mental health and I just sent a few text messages out and went to the gym and I got back and there were all these replies and one of them was from um, Jason Mraz like mm. Grammy winning singer songwriter and he was like, and that yeah. was episode one was that it? was episode one he was like I'm in London in two days let's just do it and we did it and 95,000 people <laughs> watched the live stream and I was like shit nice I mean I he's got you've like, had him on Bill Bailey yeah like, I think you've had people. Eddie Temple Morris on yeah. there who's mm. always talking about mental health yeah yeah. You'd think you'd be better by now. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie. That was it, though. Like, joke, mate. It's like, I, I was doing it for me. Like, I got a lot of lovely feedback out of how many people had helped. Like, loads, and that was really heartwarming. But but none of it was for them. It was because I needed a platform to just mm. express myself and see if other people felt the same. But that's fine. Like, yeah, that is- I, I need to do a thing. If you enjoy it as a byproduct of me needing to do it, then fucking great. Great. Good. Yeah. Um, so then I had all these big designs because um, I'm always meeting exciting people that I want to sit and talk to. But then I've got home off this tour and I haven't leapt out of my chair to get it started. You are again. allowed to relax for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like especially touring. Touring is surprisingly, even if you're not moving that far, even if you're just staying in your country, that yeah. constant movement, mm. like sometimes just sitting still. It's so relaxing, so de-stressing. It's also hard. I'm finding it hard. Mm. I'm just finding myself acting out and fucking getting angry with my family. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like, I'm just... It's hard to stop. Yeah. Like, yeah, every day you've got people cheering and validating you. And mm. and then you just like, school run. Uh, like, yeah. empty the fucking bins. And I'm just a bit like... I liked it when I only had to look after myself. Yeah. And my only goal for the day was to make people shout with joy like (laughs) i always talk about so the thing i miss most from touring i always talk about in terms of i used to smoke um and i at the end of the gig pip would go stand on merch and i would go stand at the exit of the venue i would Mm. just go walk straight through the crowd out the front door Mm. and smoke Mm. and um when i talk about it, it always sounds like it's because I want to like talk to people and connect, and it's mm. I that was my favorite bit. And it genuinely, like talking to the audience after a show is always fucking great. Yeah, like I get to maybe it's an opportunity for me to perform Dan Lassac mm. rather than just the music thing. Mm. But um, part of the addiction to it though was that validation, like mm. someone in right in front of me saying fucking love that yeah you know and it is so addictive yeah but that doesn't cease to exist yeah you know like when a band stop making music that doesn't mean all their music gets deleted that you Mm. know that validation I don't know I feel like once validated I wish we could feel it we could feel validated the whole time like we would Mm. stay validated you know because 
that person who loved your show and felt great still lo- loved the show now, even though two months later you're having to do the bins. Yeah, but sometimes it feels like that joyful love they had in that moment and they kind of splat this love onto you and that feels really nice. Mm. But then it gradually starts to like drip down and turn into a mess of all the other sort of old splats. It's gonorrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could get to the point where I am where taking the bins out validates you. That's where I've got to. (laughs) Like like at that point, genuinely, like I walked into the kitchen earlier and I'm like, yes, I've been on top of the washing up this week. This is nailed adulting. Look at me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's that's... hard, it's hard, but um, but it, I wouldn't do anything else. Mm. They got a point when I was really poorly with my mental health and I was thinking, am I going to have to go and get a job? Am I going to have to like provide for my family another way? Um, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. It was just horrible. Um, because this is part of who I am. And like whether or not that's healthy or not, I've done so much exploration of that and comes down to it, like, it is who I am. Like, I... And and I kind of feel like doing a show or creating something creative is an act of love. And mm. what you're ending up doing is you're going on stage and you're sharing that love. And when it's going well, the love amplifies the love because the crowd feel it and they throw it right back at you and it just builds. And and I felt like that's what's that's what I've got back on on this last six months of touring mm. is that feeling of growing momentum of that love. Um, but the safest thing for me is to, to make sure that I've got that internally and that it's not dependent on all those other people and yeah all the all the work because I was so I feel like I had a real unhealthy dependency on my work when I was younger so now to be able to separate myself from my work love my work believe in it do you know what I mean do it do it justice but also put it to one side and just love who I am as just a normal mm. guy who empties the bins yeah yeah it's so valuable and hard to do. It takes a lot of practice. You could beatbox while you were emptying the bins. Oh, and believe me, I do, boy. <laughs> it never stops. But like, just occasionally hope you walk as you take the bin out. Someone, walk. are you beatboxing, sir? That is excellent work. Yeah. Can it. you do that bit where they go fresh? Fresh, yeah. <laughs> fresh, fresh. No, that's scratching. Oh, my friend's a beatboxer called Testament, and he he's been making all this stuff for Radio Four lately, which was always been his dream which I'm really proud of him for and yesterday he released uh, his first drama Radio 4 drama and it's called The Beatboxer and it's about this beatboxer who won the championships and then it's kind of gone forward in time and he's like doing a corporate gig anyway yeah. in the first few couple of minutes he made me laugh so much because he got uh, he like had to buzz into the to the, the office and the lady wouldn't let him in because she didn't know who he was and she was like oh are you the DJ bing that's the first thing you always get asked when you're a yeah. beatboxer and he was like no I'm a beatboxer I make music with my mouth and she went oh go on do something for me now that's the thing that people always ask and then the third one after we did it she was like oh that was amazing have you ever thought of going on Britain's Got Talent I was like fuck that's the, the trio every taxi driver every do you know what I mean everywhere you go that's the three you always get asked so he nailed it yeah go and listen to that it's called The Beatboxer you can stream it on iPlayer there you go I'm, I'm, we're gonna hang up now say goodbye bye love you hello hello that was good it was a very good chat um, really appreciate that. It felt like one of the the most honest chats we've had on here. I didn't think either of us were really holding anything back. Um, it was far more 
a conversation between creators than a conversation about creativity. But I think a lot of these podcasts have have become that. Uh, Just two people sharing their experience rather than getting into the metaphysical ideas of creativity. I don't even know if metaphysical is the right word there, but it sounded good, you know? It sounded just, just right. So I'm leaving it in. But yeah, get yourself over to SK Shlomo on, on Twitter and on, on the Google box to find more about Simon's work and any upcoming shows. Uh, get the album, Surrender, in all the usual places. Go have a listen. It's very pretty. It's very pretty. Also, look at the TEDx talk he did, which is really moving. But actually, I won't spoil it, but he delivers it in a particularly SK Shlomo way. But genuinely hope you enjoyed that. As I said before the convo, if you are enjoying it, subscribing to the podcast, writing reviews, hitting up my Patreon, hitting up my Bandcamp, all those things help me to continue doing this on a regular basis. In an ideal world, I'd be able to go back up to weekly and and just make this my job forever. But it's not an ideal world, guys. I don't know if you've noticed who's president of the United States, but it's clearly not an ideal world. Um, unless he's been impeached in the time it took me to record this. Maybe Pence is... <laughs> no, don't even go there, Dan. Don't even go there. But yeah, thank you all once again for coming by and all, all the stuff you do. It actually makes me very happy when you say stuff to me on the internet afterwards. Like, hey, Dan, I really enjoyed that podcast. Well done, Dan, and stuff. You know, validate me, basically, if you can. And thank you in advance for spreading the good word. I'm not too proud to beg, but I am too lazy. So that helps me out a lot. And I'll uh, catch you in a couple of weeks. Have fun. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.